When you delete something, say a word or a sentence in a doc, it's not really deleted. For example, you can undo it. Usually there's a button. And the deleted text magically reappears. So it must be stored somewhere because you can literally undelete the last several items. Hmm. The same is true with a document itself. You can delete it and there, too, you can restore something in the trash before it's permanently deleted. But permanently deleted? Yeah, that's not really the case either. The contents of the files, they're still there. And that is why, in digital forensics, it's sometimes possible for investigators to go back and reconstruct deleted files so long as those blocks of memory aren't overwritten with new material. Even then, there are some caveats. Even if the file is overwritten with new data, it can still be, albeit not easily, recovered. You can, however, get military-grade scrubbers to write ones and zeros hundreds of times over the deleted file. Most people don't go to great lengths to delete a file. They just delete it. And in most cases, it's not a big deal. But what happens when you delete a developer project in GPC, and that project has an OAuth access token? What if that token didn't really get deleted? In a moment, you'll hear about a presentation from this year's DEF CON about a ghost token found in Google's cloud platform. It's one of those cases where you think something's deleted, but in this case, it could have opened the door to all the data in that deleted app still being available. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from the makers of Mayhem Security. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Vimosi, and in this episode, I'm discussing what happens when an access token for an app doesn't really get deleted in the cloud, and how, within 30 days, you can gain full access to the deleted app's contents just because the ghost token is still available. A few years ago, I worked at an identity and access management company. IAM isn't very sexy, but it is so important. There are these tools that give you access to the apps and services that you need. When you sign in, say using Google, there's a whole back and forth process that unlocks services for you to use. Often that means there's a token. A lot of attention has been paid to setting up the token. But what happens at the other end? What happens when the project in the Google Cloud is deleted? So I reached out to someone who found the answer to that question in a presentation called Ghost Token, Exploiting Google Cloud Platform App Infrastructure to Create Unremovable Trojan Apps. Okay, sure. So my name is Tas Kvera, and I'm currently the research team lead at Asterix. Asterisk is a company that sits at the intersection of security and identity access management. Basically, nowadays, 
large organization manage their uh, users using different all different kind of uh, platforms and solutions so that it would be easy to if someone joins your company you just with one click of a button you give them access to all the platforms you use and when they leave you make them live and make sure they have no access and Asterix wants to solve this specific problem uh, for non-human identities. So usually employees and, and other uh, you know people that join your company and get access to your resources are called the human entities. And there are plenty of non-human entities that live in your organization, uh, which can be very difficult to manage. So stuff like credentials and access keys and services, automatic services, um, I think the classic example for someone, uh, I guess, you know, people listening to this are more of the technological side of the developers. So imagine that one of your developers creates like an access key, personal access token, and puts it in your CI/CD process. And then when they leave the company, you 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 need to decide whether to maybe uh, you know remove remove their access and then you risk your whole production falling apart because this automatic process will stop working or maybe not do it and then you risk this employee still having access to your to your code and so this is the elevator pitch so in this episode we're going to be talking about something called oauth it's interesting that you you've taken this approach asking about oauth first so i guess oauth you can like the, the original name for it was the Open Authorization Framework. So it's not a standard, something like that. So they, they decided to call it a framework, at least the second version of it. And it's a protocol that allows, uh, you know, third-party uh, entities to access your data uh, on your behalf. You give someone else access to uh, your data in some uh, large uh, provider, and to be more uh, specific, let's take your Gmail account and you want someone to uh, maybe uh, view your calendar and summarize uh, meetings that you have or maybe summarize your docs in Google Docs. So you give them access only to this specific thing, the Google Docs, and then they can do whatever they want with this data, uh, but they don't have access to send emails as you, for instance. So this is the the original problem that the, the OAuth creators wanted to, to solve. And while we're defining things, let's unpack GPC for those who might not know. Yeah, so one of the services provided by Google is the Google Cloud Platform, which is shortened everywhere to GCP. So if anyone in the audience is familiar with Azure or AWS, it's the same thing, only, only Google uh, created. And it's a cloud service where they offer plenty of services to for developers and creators to uh, you know um, create machines, uh, create automatic processes, use cloud compute resources like let Google compute stuff for you, handle your keys, uh, anything that you want to upload to the cloud and and not host on premise yourself. My understanding is that there are different ways that you can delete an OAuth token. And there's a way in which it really doesn't get deleted in GPC. Yeah, this is a good a good high level of the general issue in this uh, in that that led to this vulnerability that that we found. Yeah. So how did this even come up? I know vulnerabilities present themselves in weird ways. I imagine there's a good story here. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think this may be the top of the leaderboard for weird reasons to find a vulnerability, but actually just, you know, I didn't even, we, I do a lot of uh, security research and cloud research to, to find these specific issues. And actually this, uh, this ghost token vulnerability completely didn't come from my research. So uh, our research team does a lot of uh, routine security uh, checks on our uh, customers' environments. And, and while we were looking at some one of the environment of our customers, we found something weird. We found an app, like an OS app, whose name was, you know, some gibberish identifier. Usually we see names, like the developer named their app, someone in the, in the past. And now we've seen just some identifier that, that is meaningless. And we were, we were wondering what's going on. So, uh, and our best guess was that maybe this, this happens when the, when the developer deletes the app. And then maybe the Google backend doesn't know where to take the name from. So it just defaults to show the identifier of the app. Um, yeah, so, so this is why we initially even uh, thought about looking at this whole deletion process in, in Google, uh, deletion of auth apps and, you know, take a closer look and find out if, if there's anything weird going on during this process. So is it because the app didn't take care of its own tokens? Or is it Google's responsibility to say, hey, the app isn't there, therefore we don't need a token? It's a 100% Google responsibility. So they needed to make a decision, right? If the owner of the app leads the app, you know, the logical thing to do is to immediately revoke all tokens that the app has. And I guess when they, when they decided whether to make the decision or not, they thought to themselves, well, you know, the, the developer deleted the app. They have no way to use the app again. So it doesn't really matter what happens to the tokens. They can stay alive. They can die. Yeah, we don't really care. And actually, the, 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 the reason why I thought your, your approach is interesting is that you have to ask why, why is OAuth even connected to GCP? So we have, we have GCP on one hand here, which is like the, the cloud services that Google provides. And we have OAuth on the other side. And there's a, a question on why they're even combined together. So let me tell you that about six years ago, if you needed to create an app in Google as a developer, you wanted to create an app for Google users to use an OAuth app. Uh, then you, you'd go to some page in Google and you say, hi, my name is Tal. I'm a developer. My, my app name is very nice app. And then you'd get the ID and a secret value that you needed to use in the OAuth protocol uh, later. And that was easy. And, if, and like, I actually never been able to find the exact, the exact time that it's happened. But at some time in the past, about six years ago, Google decided to combine this process of creating an app with the GCP platform. And, and now I'm going to maybe a speculative land, but uh, my guess is, they said, well, we have a, you know, a large cloud platform for developers. So maybe if we make them you know, create the app in, in this cloud platform, maybe they want to use other services that we provide in GCP. We, we can make it easier on them, right? The whole infrastructure is already there. They can just turn it on with a few clicks. And once this, this decision has been made, maybe that the original Google developer that decided what happens when an app is deleted wasn't involved in this uh, idea. 
Uh, and then things fell between the cracks uh, and this ghost token vulnerability uh, was created back then. So Tal came across this oddly named token. What did he do next? He tried to explore what was related to it or what it would allow him to do. Yeah, at first, we just wanted to verify our, our speculation. We speculated that this happened when uh, an app is deleted. So we created an app, installed it on, on ourselves, like on a fake user, and then deleted the app and seen what happens to the, to the tokens. Now, I will mention that the way that we deleted the app, so an app in Google is, I said, as, as I said, is contained in, in GCP. And the way it's, it's contained is you have to first create a project inside GCP. And within the project, you create your app. You give it name, you, you tell Google who's the developer, and give other details. So you actually can go to the project and specifically delete the app. So once we did that, we saw that this oddity of the name becoming the ID is, has been replicated. The same, the same thing happened. And so actually we were fine with it and, and we were discussing among, among, amongst ourselves, well, is this it? Does this explain the behavior that we've seen in the, in the customer environment? Uh, and then while we were discussing this, we, we wondered what would happen if we deleted the whole project and not just the app itself. So an app is contained within the project. So what, happen, what would happen if we deleted the project? Um, and once we did, we deleted the project, the same thing happens. The, the, the client ID, uh, the, um, sorry, the name of the app became the ID and all the tokens stopped working like, like we did when they deleted the app directly. Uh, but what we saw is that you can do the store, like the, the project isn't immediately getting deleted. It enters like a limbo state. They call it a pending deletion state where we, you have 13 days 30 days to regret deleting the project and restore it. Maybe you have important stuff in, the, in this project can contain a lot of things. They can contain uh, huge tables and a lot of data that you, you maybe accidentally someone in your organization deleted it and you want to restore it. So it makes sense that they offer this feature, but we noticed that once you restore the project that was deleted before, the other tokens that the the other the users have given to this app that belong to this project start working again so they were invalid while the app was deleted uh, while the project was deleted sorry but when you restored it they then all the tokens start working again um, and actually at this point we were like okay this is this is weird but we're not sure if there is a vulnerability here so like uh what, what's going on and when we inspected what the user sees while this whole thing happens, so remember this whole deletion, restore uh, uh, concepts are, are for the developer of the app. So the developer of the app decides to do that. And when we looked at, at it from the user point of view, we noticed that while the app is in the pending deletion state, then the user cannot see it. Just doesn't appear everywhere. And if the user cannot see it, the user can delete it. <laughs> And, and revoke the access. So there's a one nice page in Google where you as a user, you can see all the apps that you've given access to. And, and once the app is in, in pending deletion, then, then it doesn't appear in this page and you can't do anything about it. So it's, it's gone. So from the user's point of view, it's gone. But from the cloud, the token still exists. 
yeah, the token still exists and it belongs to the, to the developer, which at any point in time, they can restore the project, access the user data using the, the token that they already have, and then they lead the project again. This whole process is in a matter of seconds, uh, and the developer can continuously do that in order to steal the user's data without the user being able to remove the app. Oh, wait. So you could restore it at any time within 30 days? Yeah, right. But uh, as I said, it's, it's a matter of seconds. So every every 30 days, the developer who let, let's now start calling an attacker because he's evil <laughs> and ran a short two-second script that restores the project, access the data, and then delete it again. And once you do the restore and deletion, the 30 days refresh, they start again. So in fact, it's it's infinite. It's forever. So the way in which it would impact the end user is that any data that you had in that app could be exposed to a bad actor. Exactly. Yeah. So at, at any time, this app can be can be used to access the user data without the user being able to do to say something about it, to say, no, I, I don't want to give this app access anymore. I want to remove it. And there's really no way for the end user to even know that this is going on without looking at the Google admin page, which, of course, we all have open on our Chrome browser for constant review. Right. But I, actually, even if, even, even if the user does open this page, it, it actually, they need to do it during the attacker, you know, the developer restoring the app and deleting it, which is a matter of seconds. So unless you are constantly on this page and are constantly refreshing it in order to find this, uh, you know, rogue app that you have there, uh, you will never be able to to catch it, right? And and will be access. So you come upon this token with an ID number. Were you able to trace it back to the original application? Yeah. So actually, the the identifier that you're talking about is is a unique identifier for the application. So actually, for this specific application, we don't know its name. We have some ways in which, like uh, in in the product that Asterix offers, we have a ways to enrich this. Uh, you know, identify that means nothing into more details. We can we can tell you about who created this app, what co what company they belong to, what access do they have, stuff like that. Because as a as an identity platform, Asterix needs to provide all this information to you, so you can you can, you can decide whether to you know remove this app from your organization or or keep it. Uh, so we we can actually say more about uh, ideas like that. The issue is that when we Okay, so at this point, we, we understand that we have a vulnerability here and it actually been open for six years at least. And, and our most pressing concern was first to report about it to Google. And the second most pressing concern is to find out whether any of our customers have been affected. Like, was, did someone ever exploit this vulnerability? And the issue is that developers delete apps. It happens naturally. Maybe on rare occasions, but still it happens. And there's no way to identify between apps that have been properly deleted, uh, honestly deleted, and apps that were abused in this uh, deletion and restore method uh, and exploited this uh, vulnerability. So one of the things we should understand is the role of OAuth in all of this. OAuth started as a framework for identity and access management. 
With OAuth 2, it is more of a standard. However, there are a lot of loopholes. Perhaps this is where the vulnerability started, in those gray areas. I want to touch on the first point that you asked, like how, how is OAuth related to all of these, these things? So actually, I'm, I'm, I'm entirely talking in hindsight here. So after that, we've, uh, we've discovered it and reported it with Windows Fix. I wanted to write something about it, and you've read my blog. And during this walk, I was starting to ask myself, why, why the hell did it happen? What happened here? Why, why is OAuth related to GCP? And what happened with the project deletion? What happens to tokens? And obviously, once we found it, uh, this is an aside, once we found it, we immediately went to other platforms, such as you know, Slack, Azure, AWS, and, and try to see if the same thing happens there. So what happens when you when the developer deletes an app? What happens to the tokens? And actually, everyone handles this well. Uh, but during this process, I was thinking, what happened? So Tal wanted to see what was happening around the time that OAuth was created. What was the thinking behind how they do the things they do? And how the various vendors do things related to OAuth as a result? And I actually went back to the OAuth uh, RFC that went out in 2012, so more than a decade ago. And I read through it. And uh, in the past, I've read through it a couple of times. I've been in a web hacking scene for, for a while now. Um, but this time, I paid special attention to whether, like, what, what does the RFC tell you about managing apps? So what happens when a developer wants to register an app? And what happens when the developer doesn't want the app anymore and wants to delete it? And, and specifically, what happens to such apps in relation to where the users can manage apps that they've given access to? So I call it the user management page, like the page where the user, the end user can see all the apps they've given access to. And I found nothing. Oh, that's not good. I found that the RFC doesn't really talk about it. And specifically, only on the case of what happens when you want to register an app, and we can go to the RFC now, and I will actually read exactly what it says, maybe maybe in a moment. But it basically says, well, if a developer wants to register an app, they go on the on the server, which means Google in our in our case, and they ask to opt to create an app, and they get in return. They give Google two technical values that are needed for the protocol, and then there is a third point that says. Any other value will be provided as requested by the server, by Google. And then in parentheses, they say things like the developer name, the email address, etc. Okay, that leaves a lot to interpretation by the vendor. And I read it and it was like, this is not a standout. This this leaves a lot of a lot of things open for when Google wants to implement this, uh, this OAuth uh, framework. This leaves a lot of things open to them. They can do whatever they want. They can combine the app registration with GCP. There's not a problem with that according to the RFC. They can do whatever they want. And, and in fact, this is an issue that, at least in Asterix, if I put the vulnerability aside for now, we run into, uh, into this issue for a lot of platforms. Like, let's say we see an app installed on, on a customer environment. And we and want to ask a question about this app. Who who's the app belongs to? What do they do with the data? Uh, what should beha their behavior look like? And usually you, we we don't have this information. This information is very limited. 
we can usually maybe try to find if the app is public in some marketplace and then connect it to the developer of the app. Uh, but in a lot of platforms, we can do that. And then this app is just there. We can say anything interesting about it. Uh, and it's a problem because like the owner of the app needs to know whether to remove it or not remove it. Uh, and we can say anything about it. So in hindsight, I realized this, this was like a, the root cause lies somewhere in the off framework being not defined enough in these areas that actually cause the ghost token vulnerability. Oh, sure. Blame OAuth. No, actually, I'm allowing myself to blame OAuth. I, I, was, uh, I was following the creation of OAuth. I was pretty young back then, but I was, I was following the creation of it. And, and actually, there were some interesting discussions back there. It's like, even, even if we look at the history, history pages and, and what went down. So there was two versions of OAuth. One was released in 2010, I think, and then two years later, the second version. And within the first version and the second version, Many of the those who worked on the first version uh, and then re they represented the developer's side in OAuth, the one that come and create apps, they actually resigned and they didn't uh, work on the second version of OAuth. And, and there's two people that specifically I followed. One of them was uh, very famous back then for, for creating OAuth. And he said that uh, the, he couldn't agree with the, the, wish of the, the wishes of the corporations. So there is a lot of, uh, of uh, politics, maybe politics, but like uh, there, was a, there was a push from the corporations to do, to do things their way. In any standards organization, you have representatives of corporations, vendors, and anyone who has an interest. Obviously, the corporations, they want the standard to reflect how they're solving a given problem. Hence, their product will become the de facto standard for use. But in ceding so much control to the corporations, well, you may end up with some interesting and sometimes dangerous loopholes. Uh, for instance, I think one of the most uh, appalling thing as a developer in OAuth is the fact that you need to go, if you want to create an app that works for Azure, AWS, Google, Slack, uh, Salesforce, I can continue naming uh, uh, platforms here, you need to go to each individual platform and register your app there and realize find out how they want you to register your app and it's going to be different in all these uh, uh, platforms instead of you know just doing this once and everyone will know your uh, your app um, so you need to do this individually uh, this is a classic example of they want the power to themselves in this case I'm going to go back to the very beginning. How again did Tal happen upon an ID as a token? I mean, a token with an ID as opposed to a name. How did he discover that initially? So we just uh, doing, uh, we, we, make, we make routine checks on our uh, customers' environment to identify apps and services and any non-human identities that could pose a threat to, to the organization. Maybe they have high permissions or they've been used in a, in a weird way. Let's say they, they, uh, we analyze how they look like in, in a normal day, maybe given a, a, a baseline behavior. And then when they trigger a, a, an anomalous uh, behavior, we can go and tell the customers, well, you have an app that has been, been behaved 
in a weird way, maybe you want to delete it. Or you have an app here that has been that was developed by an individual and not a company. Maybe you don't have an, any agreement with this individual, but they actually have access to your entire organization's uh, drive account, for instance. So this is what we do. And to do these uh, things, we need to routinely check and analyze uh, environments, like Google environments of customers. And in one of these environment, environments, we found this app whose name was actually the ID of the app. So this triggered the whole thing. Okay. So it's only the fact that we tried to uh, like replicate the same behavior. We, we created our own example where this happens because we wanted to explain it to ourselves, like what's going on. So there's this way in which you could search for services that are connected to your environment and so forth. And in this process, you found a token that didn't really have a name. It had an ID. It's just luck on Tal's part. So the mere discovery of a token with an ID number isn't like a high threat to any environment. It's bad. But it doesn't have to be like, you know, someone's actively exfiltrating data with this token. Organizations are constantly hooking into services and sharing information. Exactly, yeah. So they have they have even they have this so, some sort of problem to even have visibility on this. Let's say you are an, a security officer in in an organization and, and you are aware of this problem. You are aware that maybe your users are giving access to these uh, you know apps or services or other companies and you want to be in control of that and the ways that you know uh, platforms such as Google give you access to this information is is severely limited. I wonder if Tal could provide a specific example. I guess we can maybe mention that as a, if you if your organization uses a Google Workspace, this is the name that Google gives like the uh, the the infrastructure that allows you to manage an organization and. Uh, like like sort of an active directory for your uh, organization inside Google. Um, so as an admin in the in the Google uh, uh, workspace environment, you can you could actually you could have actually found apps that were deleted back then. So the controls that Google gave to admins inside Google Workspace did allow admins to review apps within an organizations and the apps within the organization and actually removed apps that behaved in a weird way, like having this ID as a name. Um, so, so this was actually a possibility. The problem is that admins in Google Workspace didn't know what this meant. They saw an app with a weird name. I guess the first thought is not let's remove it because it poses a risk. But it was technically there, so I want to to say that as as you know to highlight the importance of giving uh, co uh, good admin controls in in these platforms. I wondered how Tal's experience with Google was on this. He reported it in June of 2022. Right. So we reported this a few. I mean, I think a day after we discovered it and realized that it's an invulnerability. Uh, so we we wrote a report about this whole uh, process to to Google and 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 we let them know and and they responded I think in August and they said this their uh, famous nice catch which uh, verifies this as a as a vulnerability that they take uh, they take into account and they open a ticket and and we worked 
uh, somewhat together with them on, on possible solutions. Uh, and actually in the first place, uh, we had an interesting discussion in which we realized that they didn't understand the severity of this problem. Mm -hmm. So we talked about this whole 30 days. You actually asked the same question that they did. So about the 30 days. So in the first place, they thought, okay, so the scope of the attack is very limited because after 30 days, the project is deleted and then the attack is dead. The attacker cannot do anything. And they didn't realize that every time you restore and delete the project, the 30 days start anew. Um, so, and we actually, we realized that during a discussion about another thing, and I was like, it sounds like they don't understand the severity of how, of how critical this vulnerability is. And I made sure that these, these points gets across. And once they realized it, they, they, uh, they, they changed, like they said, thank you very much. We understand now, we change the priority of this and uh, let's, let's work uh, on a solution uh, together. So that sounds about right. He notified them in June and they got back to him in August. True. Yeah, exactly. So during actually during this time, we got in, in touch with them and, and they said that they really uh, swamped with uh, with uh, reports. Uh, we 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 got in a time where a lot of other reports have come through and they didn't get to to view our report yet. But actually, it's it's within the three months. Um, and actually, more interesting thing is the fact that they took a lot of time to fix it once they were aware of it. Um, so they only fixed it in, in April uh, in April of the next year. But I think I, I'm not holding against them because it's a, it was an issue in like in the deep core aspect of how apps are creating Google. And I think a lot of time has went into deciding how to solve it because it's not as simple. I mean, I, I would say once a, a project is being deleted, go and revoke all the tokens that the app has received. Maybe I, I'm, I'm, viewing, I'm viewing it in a simplistic way and it's way more complicated because there's a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, infrastructures and architecture involved that I don't understand. And, and maybe it's uh, way tougher than I, than I imagined. At the end, at the end, they solved it by showing the user apps that have been deleted. So th this is the way they actually solve it in, in the end. But this, this whole weirdness happening while the app is deleted still happens today. Only now end users can actually do something about it. So the vulnerability is patched now. And so by patched, what we mean is that the ID name is still on a token, still in the cloud. However, end users should now be able to remove it from their management console. Actually, this thing still happens. The only thing that is, has changed is that users can do something about it. They can see apps that their name has changed and and they want to remove their access and just, they can just do it. They, they don't disappear from the, 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 the management page of where you can see all the apps that you're given access to. So end users can just go there and remove the access. I'd like to thank Tal for coming on the show and talking about this token that is not really deleted, this ghost token that he presented at DEF CON 31 in Las Vegas. We spend a lot of time thinking about how to create something not always how to remove it when we're done. And this is a case where data could be exposed in admittedly rare circumstances, but nonetheless, a vulnerability is a vulnerability. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend. I bet there are others who like commercial-free narrative infosec podcasts. I have so many stories about hackers who are making a positive difference in the world. 
And be sure to check out Error Code, my new podcast that focuses on IoT and embedded security. Error Code is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Let's keep this conversation going. DM me at robertvamosi at infosec.exchange on Mastodon. And tell me what you like and even what you don't. The Hacker Mind is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free, by For All Secure, the makers of Mayhem, an application security testing solution you can try for free at mayhem.security. For The Hacker Mind, I'm Robert Famosi.